Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, Pastor Tyler here. I am back. We are in week five of Making of a Great Disciple. Now, if you're brand new and you're tuning in for the very first time, the heart of this series is very simple. It's, it's, it, let me break it down in the simplest form. Uh, great music at church does not make a great church. Great sermons do not make a great church. Great disciples who know their great God make a great church. And so I don't want to be part of an okay church. I want to be part of a good church. I want to be part of a great church. And what's interesting what we're doing right now is we're in the um, letters to the churches in Revelation. And the poetic title for these are the letters to lost disciples. And the reason why it's titled that is I think in time, the church at times can get lost in legalism which we're going to see in Ephesus, get lost in uh, lukewarmness, which we saw in Laodicea. Uh, the church can fall asleep at times. Sometimes we always wonder, what church are we out of the seven? Can I just say, we're a little bit of each one. Sometimes we fall asleep. Sometimes we get lukewarm. Sometimes we get legalistic. Sometimes we almost become the dead church, and those are all things we don't want to be. So what a kind God to give us this letter so we would never be lost, to call us back, to say, turn around to greatness. Now, uh, I find it interesting that each church has its own attribute, though. And what I'm convinced of is that the wrong community can produce the wrong disciples. But the right community can produce right disciples. And what I mean by right disciples are people who understand that they're imperfect people worshiping a perfect God. What I mean by right disciples are people who uh, understand that they are not perfect, but they're going to love as much as they can, forgive as much as they can. That's all I'm saying by uh, right disciples. And so you'll see these, uh, uh, this church, Ephesus, and something happens with this church of Ephesus. They become the legalistic church. They get lost in their legalism. And this legalistic church starts producing legalistic disciples. So Jesus, like a great shepherd, comes in and says, Stop! Turn around! Turn from legalism and come back to your first love. Love me again and love people again. Now let's uh, look at Revelation 2, uh, verse 1. Now just to set this up, I, I don't think it's an accident that Ephesus is the first church to be addressed. It was the first and the greatest. It's the first megachurch ever. Timothy pastored it, Paul's uh, disciple. Paul spent more time in Ephesus than any other uh, city. Ephesus is basically, if I could put it this way, it's San Francisco. It's the San Francisco of the province of Asia. Pergamum was the capital of this province, but it was Pergamum, kind of like Sacramento. Sorry if you live in Sacramento. I was like, eh, I live in Sacramento. It's not the coolest city. It's just the capital. But the city that everybody would want to come to and make a great life would have been San Francisco. It would have been the Bay Area at this time, especially the way this state was birthed. There, um, uh, the city of Ephesus was a harbor town. San Francisco was a harbor town. It was the Golden Gate. It was where you came to get wealth. The, the city of Ephesus had six tribes, six different types of uh, um, uh, sects of people. Uh, the city of Ephesus was this metropolis uh, city. It was where you would go learn. It had type A people. You didn't go to Ephesus to go relax, though you could go enjoy the greatness of Ephesus. So Ephesus was superstitious, a lot of charms, a lot of mag uh, magical stuff. So the church of Ephesus was a special church, a smelting pot, and it exploded to thousands. And it had persecution. And so it had a great start. But the problem is, is they got on this start, and somewhere along the way, they lost their first love, who is Jesus, and they lost their love for people. This, can I put it this way? We're going to read it, and you're going to see this. They became lawyers for Jesus instead of lovers of Jesus. The church of Ephesus became a church full of lawyers, not a church full of lovers. Let's see what, uh, uh, how God says it in Revelation 2. Here we go. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus, 
This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. To the, to the Christian that feels like nobody appreciates what they're doing, let me tell you real quick. The Bible says that Jesus sees your sacrifice. He sees you laboring. He sees everything you're giving. Do it for him and him alone because he does see it. I know you don't tolerate evil. You examine the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You discovered they are liars. You uh, uh, patiently suffered for me without quitting. Woo, emphasis. Again, type A. If you're in the Bay Area, you met a lot of type A people. You tell them no, they, they, they think the no is actually a suggestion. Oh, no, you're adorable. They think a, a closed door, a wall, it doesn't matter. They'll build a new door. They'll, they'll, they'll carve a hole in it and walk through it. This is what type A people do. So what he's saying here is just, you guys don't quit. There's a, there's a type A spirit here. We are going no matter what. If, if somebody says no, we just walk around them. If we don't walk around them, we walk right through them. It goes on to say, but I have this complaint against you. Another way to say that is I have this charge. I have this challenge against you. You don't love me or each other uh, or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil de deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. I pray that we would hear today God's word. I pray that you would hear today what he has for you. You'd hear his goodness, his truth. You would hear his promises that you would see light today and you would choose light over darkness. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Stop. Here's what we're going to kind of uh, land on to this. There's this thing that God tells us. He says, look at yourself. Look how far you've fallen. I want to read you the Re uh, Revelation 2, 4 through 5 in NIV, and here's how he says it. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. We're going to consider some things today. That's going to be the message. We're going to consider, am I a lawyer for Jesus or am I a lover of Jesus? Am I a lawyer that points to the law and points at people or am I a lover of Jesus? Do I pour out my life? Do I worship? Which one am I out of those two? goes on to say, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and to do the things you did first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Oh. All right, so here's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to pray, and we're going to go to a story in the Gospels in Luke 7. And what I love about the Word is the Word says it's a mirror, that, that we literally can go to the Word and we can see we can see things about ourselves. We can see things that God wants to add. We can see things that he wants to remove. It's a mirror to us. It reveals things to us. And so, man, may the, may the word of God be a mirror today. It says a foolish person sees what needs to change and just walks away from the mirror. Oh, but a wise person will look at the mirror and go, wow, God, I didn't know I had this. Man, the God's going to remove some blind spots today, our legalistic blind spots in our church, in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Oh, we love you. And God, I do. I pray that this message would be one where we would not be lawyers Oh, but we would be lovers. You don't want a church full of lawyers. You want a church full of lovers, people that would love their God and love people, that when people hear about your church, that the first thing they would think about is love because God is love. So God, I, I, I simply say this. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. Oh God, we need you. We need you. And everybody said, uh, amen. I, I believe you said at home. Turn your ears and say, amen. Okay, okay, here we go. I sometimes forget, I literally, uh, as I was praying with my eyes closed, I thought I was in the church again. And I opened my eyes and I was like, oh, those are the cameras. Nobody's here. Got kind of sad for a second. Okay, back at it. Okay, here we go. Uh, so are you becoming a, a great lawyer or are you becoming a great lover? I'm going to use terms like intimacy today. If you're a man's man and you don't talk about intimacy, 
You know, your, your, uh, your spouse has to say, do you love me? You're like, why do I have to tell you I love you? You know I love you. I'm married to you. Uh, if you don't say I love you a lot, if you don't know how to hug, if you don't know um, uh, uh, how to be intimate, I'm going to let you know something. We worship an intimate God. We worship a God who loves intimacy. He loves uh, uh, to be kissed by his people, if you will. I'm going to use terms like that. I'm going full bore into understanding what it means to be a lover of Jesus. Now, there's this powerful picture in the Gospels that shows us a lawyer and a lover. We're going to see two people. Now, consider real quick. Are you more like the lawyer in this story or the lover? And you're going to find out real quick. We're going to step on the scale. We're going to look at the symptoms, if you will. We're going to see Simon this Pharisee invite Jesus into his house, and we're going to see this prostitute of a woman uh, respond in a different way than Simon does. And as I point out two things in this parable, I want you to consider which one you are. And here's what's so great. This isn't a condemnation thing. It's an invitation to greatness thing. If you're more of a lawyer, God's inviting you to become a lover again. If you're more legalistic, God's saying, come love again. Let's look at it. Luke 7, 36 through 50. It's this amazing thing where Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. Here we go. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived uh, a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Again, we read that, but you got to understand what's happening. Can you imagine being in somebody's house, a woman sitting at Jesus' feet, weeping? And I, it's probably not like, oh, one tear. Ooh. I mean, it is one of those, oh, oh. she is weeping. She's taking out the one thing that's most valuable to her, her perfume. It's literally her life savings, basically. In that time, it would have been something that she would have wore around her neck, probably, to show that she does have value. So it would have been uh, the one thing she had, and she's given to Jesus, she's pouring it out. It's an amazing picture that we're hearing in this gospel. When the Pharisee who had invited him in this, he uh, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed me money to a certain money lender. One owned him 500 denarii and the other owned him 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Stop. I'm just going to give you some bonus content that I, I'm just going to throw in there. It's not totally uh, part of my message, but I find this an interesting part. Two people owed them money, a certain money lender, and one owed 50, one owed 500. Can I tell you this about Pharisees and legalistic people? They're like the uh, beauty person at a um, uh, funeral home. They take a dead body and they beautify it to make it look alive again, but it's still a dead body. And the prostitute is just the one that comes to church with all the gunshot wounds, she's bleeding out, you blood everywhere, she walks in and she worships, she knows, I'm dead, he's dead. The only difference between the Pharisee and the prostitute is one actually realizes how dead they are. Dead is dead. You can look a little, there is ugly deaths and pretty deaths, but it's still death. And so the reality of this picture is Jesus saying, oh, 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 Simon, you don't get it. Let me tell you a parable. Oh, 50, uh, the debt's 50 and the debt's 500. Both people are dipped to death. Basically, Simon, you're dead, but you think you're a pretty dead person. So it's holding you back from life. She knows how ugly her death is. So she's coming and she's actually getting life. Do you see that picture he's saying? Let's keep going. I suppose the one who had uh, the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured out perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins are many, uh, have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. 
Everybody say great love, as her great love has shown. Man, I don't know about you, but if the church is going to show something, if the church is going to be about something, I love this. Jesus is celebrating something right here. Her great love. Not her little love, her great love. And then people say something about the way that you live for Jesus, that you have a great love and it's been shown. Our, our love is not to be hidden under uh, um, uh, uh, a bucket, but the lamp of light and the light of love. Oh, it should be seen by this world. May our church be a lampstand to this place of love. Let's keep going. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say, some, uh, say among themselves, who is this uh, who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith saved you. Go in peace. All right. The question is, are you a lawyer or a lover? And we're going to look at two things, and that's it. We're going to look at the poor, and we're going to look at the kiss. What do you mean, Tyler? Two things Jesus focused on, so we're going to focus on them. He says to Simon, you didn't pour anything on my feet. She poured her tears. You didn't even give me a kiss. She kissed my feet. Those are the two things that he celebrates and the two things he condemns. There's something about being a lawyer and there's something about being a lover. There's something about uh, a lawyer being afraid of intimacy. They like intellect, but they don't like intimacy. And so the first one is simply this, is lawyers talk and lovers kiss. So are you a talker? Are you a kisser? Because lawyers talk and lovers kiss. Let me just give you a real quick example of a lawyer today that would come to church. A lawyer will walk into church. So first one, you ask yourself, consider yourself real quick, ch challenge yourself. Am I more a lawyer when I walk into church, when I walk around other believers, or am I a lover? Am I kissing people, or am I, am I somebody who's actually just talking to people? Here's what I mean. A lawyer will walk into church, and they'll look around, and they want to basically look at what's, do, uh, what's going right and what's going wrong. So they come into church, worship's being played, and they're looking at what people are wearing to church. They're looking at what people are saying during announcements. They're looking at what the message is being said. And when they leave church, they just talk about church. They talk about what should have been done here. They critique everything. They don't celebrate. They critique everything. They're talkers. They love talking about the message. You know, what I thought about Ephesus, what I thought was fascinating was Ephesus was a metropolis town, and we're a metropolis town. And, and they'll, they'll talk about all the, all the context, but they never get to the intimacy part of really what Jesus is trying to do in their life. So all they do is talk about intellect, intellect, intellect. And then they'll challenge and they'll condemn anybody who's not perfect on their intellect spectrum. Oh, they'll blow them up. Lawyers love to talk. They love to talk about people. They love to talk about the people that deserve this or uh, talk about the people that they can't believe they got this and got that or how dare they do this. Lawyers just talk about people the whole time. So lawyers are talkers. But man, lovers are kissers. What, okay, what do you mean lovers are kissers? Let me, let me, let me read you a verse, okay? Uh, Luke 7, 44. We, re we read this, so I'm going to read it to you again. Can you imagine Simon hearing this from Jesus? Ready? Put, your, put yourself in Simon's shoes. Jesus says this. Then he turned toward the woman and said to uh, Simon, do you see this woman? I came in your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she uh, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Can you imagine uh, Jesus walking in and, you know, sitting down and be like, hey, you didn't kiss me or hug me. You're like, you wanted me to kiss you and hug you? This is his, this is his complaint against Simon. He's saying, Simon, you, you are uh, um, a Pharisee. You know the, 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 the law. You know the, you know the penitent. You know all this stuff. You know I love worship. You know that you're supposed to bow down to me. Nobody, no, nobody bows down to anybody except the king of kings, Lord of lords. So you invite me in. Here's the problem with uh, um, uh, Simon's posture. Simon wanted to interview God, not worship God. The, the lawyers love to talk and interview and, and, and dissect. And he's simply saying this. Just catch this real quick. He's saying, Simon, you didn't kiss me. You invited me to your house and you didn't worship me. This woman, she kissed me. She worshiped me. Do you know that worship in the word where it says worship, spirit, and truth? That literally that, that, that word worship is the Greek word of a dog kissing its master's hand. 
and we look at worship, and if I'm just being honest, you can tell a lawyer real quick a lot of time, even in service, just the biggest thing that divides a lawyer from a lover is worship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this again. The biggest thing that divides a lawyer from a lover is worship. I cannot find a religious church that is great at rejoicing. I find a lot of great religious churches that are great at critiquing. And so just picture, when worship starts, you got to ask yourself, Oh, am I ready to kiss my Savior? Am I ready to worship my Savior? And you're like, Todd, that's just a little too intimate. Well, then you're not ready to actually worship your God because your God does, does not ask of intimacy. He requires intimacy. Let me, let me uh, use an illustration. Um, now, this is what basically is happening. So you have Simon who invites a good teacher in his room because basically he thinks Jesus is a good teacher, but he doesn't think he's Lord. And Jesus does not allow him to allow him to just leave the house and go, okay, I'll just let this guy think I'm a good teacher. Jesus leans in and says, I am Lord of everything. I am the Savior. I am the King. He basically tells him, hey, she gets it. You don't get it. He doesn't like, we were in our uh, staff meeting uh, this week, and we are just talking about C.S. Lewis, and he's just so wise, and he, he has this liar, lunatic, or Lord um, a quote, and we read it today and uh, this week, and I just thought I'd throw it in there to just, again, to let you know that God does not give you the option to not be intimate and fall down your face and worship him like king. And here's how C.S. Lewis says it. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's basically what uh, uh, Simon was. He was intrigued. You're a good moral teacher. You're a good guy. I'll have you over for dinner. But I'm not ready to say you're God. He goes on. He says, um, uh, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who uh, was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Do you see what they said they're in? Who is this man that forgives sins? Who is this man? What kind of man would say that? A man does not say that. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Creator, the Alpha Omega says it. Goes on to say, um, he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Stop. He didn't intend to allow us to just kind of interview him. Because when you're interviewing God, who has the authority seat? You're, you're trying to hire God. God doesn't need you to hire him. God wants you to fall at his feet and surrender to him. I, I, I'm going to use two illustrations, okay? Now, uh, we're going to talk about why it's better to be a kisser uh, instead of a talker. And what I mean by that is uh, really what uh, Jesus is saying is she's fully committed here. She is committed that I am her God and nothing else is. She's committed to the scrutiny of how scandalous it looks. Can I just tell you something real quick? When a woman would take down their hair in this context of culture, you would never see that in public. You would never see it in a house. It is this scandalous moment where a woman either, she's uh, married, if she took it out, it means that she was single again. It means that she was putting herself out there. It was a scandalous way to say, I'm just, I'm less than. Another way to put it would be, it would be like a CEO of Google coming into our church on a Sunday at Las Lomas and him going to the front of the sanctuary, falling on his feet, screaming, I need you, Jesus. I'm broken. I need you, Jesus. Sin has power over me. I need you, Jesus. And for the CEO of Google to do that, it would be scandalous and it wouldn't look right. I think the shareholders of Google would say, we need to get a new, share we need to get a new CEO. This guy went to a church, fell on his face, started crying out to God, saying, I need you, I need you. 
And really what she's doing when she drops her hair down, she's simply saying, I've been trying to have this pretense of protecting who I am and even wearing this uh, little perfume thing saying that I know I'm a prostitute, but I still have worth and I still am going to try to act the part. She's saying, I'm done. I'm, I'm done playing the part. I'm done, I'm done doing what culture tells me to do. I'm done, I'm done trying not to be scandalous here and there. I just, I just want to worship God. I don't care what anybody else thinks. She's fully committed to worshiping God no matter what culture says. There's this movie that came out, uh, Hitch, with uh, Will Smith. I, I love the movie Hitch. Uh, he basically helps these guys who have no uh, idea on how to pursue a girl. He teaches them how to pursue. He just teaches them, hey, here's how you're going to pursue her. Here's how you, they, don't know how to, they don't know how to communicate their intimacy. They don't know how to communicate they like somebody. So he's teaching this one guy named Albert, the other star of the movie, how to just show her that he likes her, to pursue her. And so he says, Albert, here's the deal. You're going to tell her you like her. That's okay, but really when you, a girl knows that you like her, you're really starting to be committed, you're going to kiss her. So I need you to lean in and kiss her. Albert's like, I got to lean in. He goes, you got to go 90 and let her go 10. And so Albert and Will Smith, they practice in the movie, and Albert accidentally goes 100%, and, and Will's like, Albert, you know, you overzealous son of a gun. You know, like he goes off on him. And, and so he's teaching Albert, though, how to kiss somebody. In this moment, Jesus is trying to teach us how to kiss him. We don't go 90, he goes 10. We go 100. He's already, what else does Jesus have to do for you to actually fall at his feet and kiss his feet? To kiss him and say he is king. He died on the cross, he conquered the grave. We're waiting for, like, God, God, do one more thing for me. Do, this isn't an interview process. Either you're going to come worship me or you're not going to come worship me. You're going to come fall at my feet or you're not going to come fall at my feet. Now, if that's too um, uh, feminine of an illustration for some of you guys, I'm going to use a football term, all right? All right, you men, men, I'm going to use a commitment football term, all right? You play football, this is for you, fellas. Um, hey, ladies, if you like football, this is for you, too. I don't just, it's for whoever wants this one, okay? Uh, you didn't get the one. Um, commitment. Uh, if you know anything about football, there's a position called linebacker. The linebacker's on defense, and he's in the middle of, like, the field, and the linebacker has to decide every play, is it a pass or is it a rush? And you've got to make a decision quick, and you've got to commit. It's a, it's, it's a rush, and you commit to the rush, and you tackle the player. Or you commit, it's a pass, and you drop back. So you've got to commit. Now, if you're the linebacker in the game, and you never commit, all you do is you allow the other team to take back ground. You never actually get the ball back and take back ground and basically you say, say this way, repent and go forward again. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you got to commit. Pass or run. Let me say this way. you got to commit. Am I Lord or is it the world? One or the other, pick one, and let's move on. Simon, you'll never, do, you'll never do yourself any good. You won't do this world any good if you just stay in one place and just keep watching, run, and pass. Commit to one or the other. I, uh, I think it's fascinating. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this real quick. Uh, another way you could say a lawyer is a lawyer is like a health inspector. They're... They're like the one who comes in the restaurant and just inspects everything that's wrong and wants to shut it down because it's not perfect. Can I just tell you real quick? The church, man, it's got a lot of things that needs to be fixed. It's got a lot of things. But the thing that we're serving, if we keep serving it, God will never shut us down. It's called love. When we stop serving love, that's when the restaurant gets shut down. The, the, the way the, the lawyer looks at it, he goes, no, I'll shut it down if they don't do everything perfectly while they serve love. No, no, no. You serve love, restaurant will never be shut down. But Jesus says, hey, you stop serving love, it's not even a restaurant anymore. It's not, it's not, it's not what I created it to be. We're, we're going to have mess-ups as a church. We're not going to do things perfectly as a church. I, I, um, uh, I think it's funny, too, between the lawyer and the lover, if I can use that term, the, the prostitute and the Pharisee. I think it's fascinating that uh, what sets them apart? What, what does Jesus 
uh, used to set them apart. Let's, let's look at this real quick, and then we're going to go on to the second point. Um, the Pharisee, who's the more moral one out of the two? Pharisee or the prostitute? I'm going to say the Pharisee. He wins. Moral. Okay. Uh, life's resume. Who has a better resume in the community of doing good in the community? Mm, Pharisee. So, I mean, you go, if you go down, like, all the Christian lawyer stuff, well, moral, what are you doing, all these things, uh, the Pharisee's going to get it. The only thing that sets these two apart that Jesus says is, one actually understands how forgiven they are, so therefore they understand how to worship me. It's the forgiveness factor. I, I, I wrote it down this way. Uh, <laughs> the Pharisee walks in and worships, but worships in a way of, like, all right, I'm going to worship. And then the, the lover walks in and goes, I'm going to pour out my life today because he poured out his first. And what I mean by that is you got to understand what it costs to be saved. you got to understand what she understood that he didn't. She understood there was a price being paid. She was preparing his body, if you will. The perfume, like it was a preparation. It was, there's just so much connected to this story. Let, let me say it this way. If I was given a $30 million loan by the local bank, and I came back and said, I just can't pay it. Sorry. And the bank's like, oh, okay, 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 well, you're good. I'm like, wow, the debt was pretty easy to take care of. But then the backdoor conversation is they go back and like, hey, we gave the biggest loan to this guy in our town. We believed in him, and he didn't pay it. Hey, Bill, you're fired. We can't pay your salary anymore. Hey, hey, uh, hey Sally, I know that you, uh, you got a family, but you're fired. Why is everybody getting fired right now? Because there was a gentleman that took a $30 million loan and he didn't pay it. So all of you are fired now because we can't pay our bills. So he's not going to pay the debt. Bill, you're going to pay the debt. Sally, you're going to pay the debt. You know what? I, I'm going to have to take a 20% uh, pay decrease. Uh, basically, it's going to be me and just uh, Sam over here. We're going to work on a skeleton, skeleton crew because somebody had to pay the debt. What Pharisees think is that when they, lawyers, when they make a mistake, nobody's really paying that big of a price. Well, my sins aren't that big a deal. They're not like, it's not ruining anything really that bad. No, no, your sins destroyed everything. Your, your pride and arrogance is destructive and it created death. It cost this man and his name was Jesus, Lord and Savior. And this is what happened on the back door. We came to God, we can't pay it. We can't pay it. And the Pharisees walked away like, all right, well, let's make sure I'm a lawyer. We'll take care of it. And you think the lawyer pays it off, but really what happened in the back door was God went to Jesus and said, hey, I created mankind and they couldn't pay the debt. I'm going to need you to go die for them. I'm going to need you to pay your life for them. And then you're going to conquer the grave. You're going to have to leave their throne and go be born in a manger. She, she knew that conversation. She knew that happened, if you will. She understood the cost of what Jesus was doing. It just changes your worship. You will not pour out your life until you have actually understood how much Jesus has poured into yours. The, 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 pouring, the pouring factor is one of those things where when I was 16 years old, and I saw how sinful I was, and I wept for hours. It changed everything. It wasn't an intellectual decision why I chose Jesus. Don't wrong, intellect's a part of it. It was Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Let's uh, go on to the second point, and then we'll be done. Lawyers point and lovers pour. Lawyers point and lovers pour. So lawyers talk and lovers kiss. Second point, lawyers point and lovers pour. What, what beautiful points, okay? Uh, let's, uh, let's look at Luke 7. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Oof. Okay, so let's just look at this real quick. Epic moment in the Bible, a story that Jesus said would be told for all time, 
What is the lawyer doing? What is the Pharisee doing? The Pharisee is pointing why the prostitute is pouring. Can I just put it this way? While you're busy pointing, I'm going to be busy worshiping. While you're busy pointing and critiquing everything that I'm doing, I'm going to be busy pouring out my life for Jesus. The, the reality is, is that there's something that happened at Ephesus. Ephesus became pointers instead of pourers. They, started pour, they stopped pouring out their life on people. They started just pointing their, their finger at people, if I could put it that way. They became great lawyers. Let's make it a little relevant. Uh, let's make it a lot relevant. Our world doesn't need any more pointers. It's everywhere right now. During the election, can I just be honest? We don't need to point at what's wrong with Republicans. We don't need to point what's wrong with Democrats. We don't need to point what's wrong with the rioters. We don't need to point with what you think is wrong with the police. We don't need to point. What we need to do is pour. Democrats need to have this experience with a Christian where a Christian doesn't point at them, pours out love and forgiveness and mercy and grace on them. A Republican doesn't need you to point at them. Man, they need you to pour out love and grace and mercy on them. A rioter, you think a rioter needs you to point at them? You think you pointed and saying, look how terrible that rioter is? Can I be honest? The way the news is working right now is you have one news station that points at all the terrible people on that side. And they just point and point and point. Then the other news station does the same exact thing, and they point and point and point. Man, the world can be busy pointing. Mission Church, we're going to be busy pouring. We're going to pour out our life. We're going to pour out love. We're going to pour out kindness. We're going uh, to pour out grace. This is the difference between the prostitute and the Pharisee. I wrote a quote down. The world has enough pointers. God is trying to raise up some pourers in this conversation. It's very simple. Jesus in this conversation, what he's trying to teach us and why he's so focused on the pouring. Simon, you didn't even pour water on my feet. He's just focused on the pouring and the kissing. He's, man, we got enough, again, intellects. I'm not saying that you're not supposed to reason your way to your faith. I'm not saying you're not supposed to process it. But can I just tell you, academics isn't going to change the world. It's not. You pointing is not going to change the world. But just maybe, the scripture's right. You loving people will change the world. You pouring out your life will change the world. All right, let me finish with this. I, uh, I love John 21, 15 through 25. It's one of my favorite moments with Jesus and Peter. Now, our series is making him a great disciple. Making him a great disciple. So Jesus is going to make the greatest disciple of this time, if you ask me. One of the greatest, if not. Peter's one of the greatest disciples ever to live. Can we agree on this? Okay. So it's kind of uh, fun to me to go back and say, how did Peter become such a great disciple? What were the last things Jesus taught him? What did Jesus lean into? And if, if I were uh, thinking about making a great disciple, I'd come with 10 things. Here's 10 ways to become a great disciple. And I'd write down, do this, Peter, and do this, and do this. Thank goodness that I'm not the one who's making Peter a great disciple. Thank goodness it was the one that's the greatest disciple maker ever, and his name is Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did to make a great disciple? He asked Peter if he loved him over and over again. That was the conversation. His last conversation of reinstating and equipping and empowering and releasing Peter was this question, do you love me? Here's why, because I believe this, that when the, when the church stops kissing and when the church stops worshiping, this, oh, when the church stops pouring, it becomes lost. When we stop kissing and pouring, we get lost. And so what does he do with Peter? This is a conversation that Peter will never forget. Let's, let's read it together in John 21, 15 to 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Isn't it interesting that loving God is always connected to loving people? Isn't it connected that loving God is always connected to caring for people? They don't separate. And Revelation says, you don't love me or people the way you did. He goes on to say, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went, uh, went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Stop. One of the things that I've been doing in the morning for the last couple of weeks uh, in my prayer time is simply this. Jesus, do I love you? I love you, Jesus. Jesus, do I love you? Oh, you know I love you, Jesus. And it's weird, as, as I go through that, that rhythm, the fourth time, the fifth time, I start to actually really ask myself that question with the realness of it. So the first time, do you love me? Of course I love you. My wife will do this to me all the time. Why do you love me? Oh, because you're the greatest. No, I need a real answer. You're the greatest. No, why do you love me, Tyler? Why do you love me? Why do you love me? And then I'll get to this moment where I actually have to think about it. Where I actually have to think about how much I love Rachel. And I got to go there. And I got to actually process, all right, babe, this is how much I love you. And then I get a little teary-eyed. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not being a dude right now. I, I, I'll be honest. If you were at our staff Christmas party and council party, I just talked about how much I love Rachel and how thankful I am that I get to build the kingdom with her. And I went there in my heart, and I couldn't stop crying. The reality is that when you get asked three times by Jesus, all he's saying is this, do you love me? You know I love you. No, no, no. Stop. Consider this real quick. Do you love me? You know I love you. No, no, no. I got to ask you again. Do you love me? He was hurt. It went down to this, his soul. <sighs> I love you. Okay, then you can go die for me now. If you love me enough, you'll be able to die for me. If you love me enough, you'll be able to love other people the way that you couldn't love before. You will not be able to love people that think differently than you until you actually realize how much Jesus loves you and how much you love him. Oh, have that conversation this week. Oh, church, can I just tell you a quick? Lost disciples are unloving disciples. Lost disciples are ones that are making it more about their, uh, the pointing, more about talking. Oh, may we just pour out and may we kiss the Lord this week. I know it's an interesting term to say kiss the Lord, but it just means to worship God this week. May we be better worshipers. Can I pray for you real quick? God, I thank you for what's happening here at Mission Church. God, may we be the loving church. Oh, Lord, I pray right now that, uh, Lord, uh, that there would be something special that happens to our church, Lord, that we'd be better at pouring out our life and we'd be better at worshiping with everything we have. May we not point, but may we pour. May we not talk, but may we just kiss our God during service. Oh, may we worship our King. Lord, we love you, we love you. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.